Psalm 1. For uh, the month of July, at least the part of it that I'll be here, we're going to go through uh, a few of the Psalms. Don't worry. I know usually I like to get a book and I like to, we're going to do this later with Romans, but I like to get a book and we're going to go through that book. There are 150 Psalms, okay? And I'm, I'm 50, I'll be 52 in October. Who has time for that? <laughs> I don't know that the Lord has me that long. So, uh, what we'll do is just, we're just going to hit, uh, about, probably about four of these Psalms, uh, over the next, uh, probably four weeks. Just a few little highlights, different kinds of Psalms is one of the things that we're going to look at and, uh, different things. So, what I encourage you to do on your own time, is to to read one a day. If you're on the uh, reading plan with us, we're going through a reading plan in the Uversion Bible app called Eat This Book, uh, and you can pick up anywhere, anytime. You don't. Nobody's grading this thing. If you pick up in July, you pick up in July. Uh, but it has a psalm every day at the end of of the day's reading. So uh, if you want to find one of those reading plans, I think that'd be great if you're not doing that already. But read a psalm a day. Uh, you can even break up Psalm 119 into a week if you want to. It's it's a long one, Psalm 119, uh, but very, very beneficial for a lot of people. The Psalms are the favorite. It's kind of hard to call a book. It's more of a it's a collection, uh, but it's their favorite book for their devotional time. And it's because so much of the poetry and the hymns that are written, songs that are written in uh, this book are straight from the heart of the writers, which would include David uh, and it's several other people that I mean, you don't even need to go through the list. This is not academic this morning, uh, but written by several people. Uh, some we don't even know who wrote some of the Psalms, but we know their heart. You have times where the Psalms just break out in praise, just absolute breakouts of praise. And, you know, David tells them one time he starts just listing the band instruments because he could do that, you know, and he just starts listing out band instruments. I want you to play this and this and this and this and this. Break it all out. And then he starts shouting to the mountains. Mountains, you sing. Birds, you sing. Oceans, you lift up a praise. He just gets all excited because he just wants to praise the Lord. There are other times where there are psalms, uh, particularly of David, where David is despondent. He's frustrated. Sometimes I think he's pretty angry. Uh, he's disgusted by some of the things that he sees in the world. And we need those psalms too. Okay, it's not all, some of the psalms are clap your hands and grab your stringed lyre, but some are, God, where are you? These people are getting away with stuff they shouldn't be able to get away with. And God, I need you to crush them because they're crushing me. And he gets what we into psalms that uh, call down God's justice, and God's righteousness, and God's even sometimes punishment and discipline. We as Christians need to know that those kind of psalms exist because we need to know that it is okay to be disgusted with some of the things that happen in the world. And so sometimes you go through the psalms, and that's what you see. Now, there's a few of them where David gets maybe a little carried away. I think it's important to remember this when you read the psalms. It's their heart. It doesn't mean that the, every attitude held in the psalms is necessarily the right attitude to hold. It's honesty. It's God, this is how I feel. And so sometimes he, he calls on God to do some things that God doesn't do because God goes, David, I understand the feeling, but I'm not doing that. I'd rather have them repent. And so there's that. But you feel that way too, don't you, sometimes? 
God, I know it's not right, but somebody needs to fill in the blank, right? And so we ask God to do justice instead of doing our vengeance. But that's in the Psalms. And we didn't know that it's okay to take that to God, that he works on our hearts as we pour those things out to him. At the end of every one of those Psalms where David does that, he comes back around and said, God, you know what? I know you've got this. He lets go. I know you've got this, and I'm just going to trust your judgment, and I'm going to trust you to deliver your way. Every single one of me ends up praising God for what he knows will happen, even when he started the psalm at a time of, Lord, I don't even know where you are right now. By the end of the psalm, he knows. That kind of ought to tell us something about the importance of a prayer life and just pouring those things out to God and letting him work on our heart through his spirit even as we pray, or as you write them down, you could do like David. Keep a, I'm not a journaler, but you could keep, keep a journal and, and write that out. That's really good for a lot of people. Okay, So we're going to go through all those, not all, I already promised all. We're going to go through some of those different various types. This morning is Psalm 1, and it is uh, an introductory psalm in a sense. Not necessarily written that way, but when they compiled it, they put, put this one at the front, and it makes a lot of sense because it sets the tone. For the rest of the entire collection of psalms and, and hymns that are written here. So, as we read this, kind of keep it in your mind that that's what this is. My teacher for the book of Psalms was a guy named Charles Spear. Put him on your prayer list. He has cancer. Teacher at Sunset who's not teaching right now. Um, but Charles, when he taught this, said, you know, this is, if we were going to write an introduction for the whole book, this is the introduction. It sets us up to understand what it's really all about. So, Let's read the psalm. Uh, it'll be up on the screen. I'm going to stand back and read it from there so that I know where you are on the screen. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Okay, so with this psalm, uh, we have just a, a, a set of, I'm going to say choices. He doesn't word it that way. But he kind of gives us some choices that we need to make. And he points out, here's the way you live a life that is going to be blessed. This is the way you live a life that that God looks at. And like he did at creation, where at the end of every day of creation, he stands back and says, it's good. That you live a life in such a way that at the end of it, you and God together can look at it and say, you know what, that was good. Isn't that what you want, really? You know, we strive to hear those words, uh, welcome into my happiness, good and faithful servant. Servant. I don't know what a servant is. That's like some kind of a new Chinese tea kettle or something. Uh, welcome, good and faithful servant. And you want those words. How good would it be if he actually plays our life on a screen and plays a highlight reel? It's going to need to be a highlight reel. I mean, we want edits, right? Grace is edits, okay? You watch that highlight reel, and God goes, you know what, that was good. Would that not be cool? I think that would be cool. This is what it's at. 
these are the choices you can make that you'll be able to, at the end of your life to look back and say, that was all right. That people at your funeral, I almost worded this wrong. I was going to say that people at your funeral are glad to be there. That could really go no matter what kind of life you live. <laughs> that, could, that could mean you did it wrong. That people at the end of your life at your funeral are thankful to have known you, and that's why they're there. That they celebrate, that they sing songs of praise while you're there. Like, can I, and can I give you a word of This is going to be my little preacher funeral consultation for you. When it comes time to make plans for those services, I know the new trend is to play all recorded music. I want to encourage you to do something because it's just an observation I've seen. You pick at least one song you guys are going to sing together so that the praise for the life lived comes from your own heart. Would you do that? I want to encourage you to think about that as you make those plans and, and think about that because I think we really are losing something in the life of the church, that we don't lift our own voices in praise of good lives. It's not a criticism of anybody who doesn't at all. I would be the last to do that. But what I'm saying is we can lose a good thing by replacing it with too much of another good thing. You see what I mean? So, although, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. If you've got your, you know, your loved one has a favorite ZZ Top song, then, you know, you might still include that somewhere. In there, I don't know if Jim has his favorite ZZ Top song, but he likes their cars. I know that, right? That that I'm sure of. Anyway, uh, in in this psalm, and we come to these choices, and the first choice is is this one. And there's a little bit of not always a who, what, when, where, but some of those are in here. This is the who. Your friends matter, and it doesn't matter what age you are. You need to either learn this, know this, or remember this. Who you surround yourself with, really deeply matters. And whether that is in terms of a group of friends and a circle of friends or one really good friend, you've got to have somebody in your life that strengthens your walk with God. Okay? He uses the negative example here. And he says, uh, looking back at verses 1, well, mainly 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, three different kinds of people and three different situations, whether you're walking, standing, or sitting. You know, that's most of your day, isn't it? Walking, standing, or sitting is most of your day. You're, you're working, you're going, you're running around, whether that's leisure or work. Basically, the idea here is all the people you do life with, if it is people, bet on what's wrong. That's going to be a problem. He goes at the end of the psalm to how bad that problem's going to be. He says, those people who are wicked and you, if you get caught up with them, blown away like chaff. The waste product. Just, Jesus says, that's just good to blow it away and burn it. It's all it's good for. It's trash. You don't want the life at the end to have been worthless. Say, oh, it won't be worthless. I have all kinds of good times. Good times that led to worthlessness. Attitudes that led to worthlessness, wickedness, and wrong. And we all like to think that we are immune to the influence of other people, that we're strong enough, faithful enough, deep in our relationship with God enough 
that, you know, well, well, but I can handle it. I can handle it. I, you know, maybe you can't be around those people, but I can be around those people. And the truth is the most faithful people in the world are still influenced by evil when they're around it. Remember who wrote the song? If it's David, we think it is. If it's David, then guess what? One of the most faithful people around. A heart that chased after God. Unfortunately, it was also a heart that chased after Bathsheba. Why? Because he wasn't where he belonged with the people he belonged with. The beginning of that whole story was, now it was the time that kings go to war and David was at his palace. He had a job to do. His troops were out there. Bathsheba's husband was out there, but he was not. He was leading from afar, if he was leading at all. He wasn't where he belonged. And idle hands and idle minds, that's the devil's workshop. All the people around him were people who did what? Yes, sir. Okay. I want you to go down there and get that lady's name. Yes, sir. Okay. Nobody stopped and said, Well, King, all, all due respect, she's a married woman. Nobody ever said that to him. Not until Nathan the prophet comes to rebuke him later, after the fact, after the affair, and after the murder and the cover-up. So it's not just people who influence you that are trying to drag you away. You need people that when they see you being the person who is weak, make sure they're the kind of people who will say, Hey, I don't think you need to go there. I don't think that's good. If all of your friends agree with every decision you've ever made, said it before, I'll say it again. If all of your friends agree with every decision you've ever made and they think you're the wisest person on earth, you need smarter friends. None of us are that good. None of us are that wise. We never, we never always, okay, I'm going to be bad grammar this morning. We never always make the right decision. However you would say that. I'm, I'm not going to try and figure it out this morning. We need people who will say no. We don't need people that will lead us by the nose right into the problems that we're trying to escape. It really deeply matters. So he says you're blessed if you don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, if you don't uh, sit with, I may get them out of order, if you don't uh, stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the seat of mockers. Let me tell you, that last one is hard, isn't it? We live in a time where mockery, is it elevates your standing. The more of a smart aleck you are, the more of a mocker you are, the better. You can make a living going on the Internet and making fun of whoever it is you don't like. But that is chaff. It will be burned up. It is wickedness. And he says, don't you get in there with that. So I wonder if he knew about social media when he wrote this. Because what is it, what posture does he say the mockers take? They sit. You ever notice that it's always the complainers, the mockers, the gripers, and the make funners that are always sitting over there at the sidelines or up in the peanut gallery? Or, this is why I think he knew social media, sitting at their keyboard. You ever notice that? It's way too easy, isn't it? To become a keyboard warrior and a mocker. And he says, don't do it. Don't sit there. You will not be blessed. And again, we'll read the ending again here in a second. Opposite of blessed judged. So who we are with really matters. Paul said it. I think it's up there, right? Yeah. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. 
bad company corrupts good morals. He's saying this to a church that lives in Corinth, one of the most wicked cities in the world at the time, one of the worst cities in the Roman Empire, idolatrous to no end, immoral to no end. It was unbelievably wicked. It makes Las Vegas look like Romper Road. Okay? It was bad. I know we say every now and then that, well, the world can't get any worse. You hadn't been to the Roman Empire yet. I say yet because we could be on our way. We're making steps. We are making steps. And he says to them, listen, if you're going to make it as a Christian in that environment, make sure you surround yourself with the right people because bad company corrupts good morals. And that's tough when somebody, especially if you're, as, you're, as you're growing older, you know, high school kids have to deal with this. Junior high kids have to deal with this. We lie and say that adults don't. It's not true. You know, how many lessons do teens hear on peer pressure? Because it's real. How many more lessons do adults need on peer pressure? Because it's even more real, but we're in denial. It's very real. But, you know, when it's people you've had long relationships with, you sometimes, especially you grow up with them as kids, you remember before. When you would never have called that person wicked. You would never have said they were a mocker. You would never have said, well, yeah, that's my friend Jeb. He's a real sinner. You wouldn't have said that. But now it's real. And you got this long-term relationship, and, they, you know, you grew up together. All your stories are intertwined, and what do you do? It's hard, isn't it, to reevaluate as a Christian and look at that and go, you know, I've always... Counted that one guy one of my closest friends, but I don't think we can, I don't think we can keep going out and spend time together. Not if I'm going to follow Jesus. It's it, this doesn't work together. And that's tough. It's tough. It's part of the, the cost that you count for getting to hear those words. Welcome in. Welcome to your Father's happiness, good and faithful servant. And unfortunately, sometimes it has to be done, and it is tough. You try to be salt. You try to be light. You always do that before you cut, right? Try to be the influence on them for good. But there are times when you have to look at it and say, I think I'm not the greater influence here. Just be honest with yourself. I'm not the greater influence. And you have to back off. That just, it's part of life. It's part of growing up. When you do, though, you create a vacuum. Hey, vacuums aren't good. They're going to draw something back in. It can be an even worse influence. So choose wisely. So, uh, Philemon 1 verse 7. Here we go. I'm going to look down here again. Your life, this is Paul writing to Philemon, your, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. This is the people you need in your life. That when, and Paul's having to write that letter, it's a hard letter for him to write because he's being a friend. And he's saying to Philemon, brother, I'm, he, he had had a runaway servant. He's sending him back. And he says, I want you to treat him in a godly way. I want you to do what's right. And so he's being the kind of friend that will actually say, no, the good friend, the wise friend, the good counsel. And he says to Philemon, this isn't a one-way street. You have been so good to me and not just me, all the Lord's people. Find yourself a friend who will be one of those guys, the one who will write the letter, the one you can write the letter to and say, hey, it has been a blessing being your friend. You've refreshed my spirit. You've re helped me to be renewed in Christ. You've made me stronger. And you've blessed other people too. Those are the kind of people that help you to become a person who is overall in your life absolutely blessed.
There's a second choice that he brings up uh, in, in all of this. And he says, I, I'm sorry, I have to keep turning around. This is the problem with standing down here. It really matters what you celebrate and what you meditate on. Let me break those down two things. And you will notice there's a big blank. I'll come to that. I, it will explain the cow. I know you're going, I don't understand celebrate, meditate, and a cow, okay? We'll get there. Right now it looks like I'm doing Hindu meditation because of the cow and the meditation. It's not what I'm doing. Okay, so celebrate. Things that you are happy to, about, things that you would applaud, things that you praise God for, they need to be the right things, don't they? What, is, what does the writer here say? He says, I meditate, and, I, and he's talking about celebrating, I delight in the law of the Lord. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Who delights in law except for a lawyer who's about to make money because of something he just found? Who does that? David looks at that world around him, and he looks at all of these things that, that need to be righted, all the wrongs that need to be righted, or he looks at the things that are right and are a blessing and are awesome that are because God said, this is the way I want it to be. You know, God writes in the law of Moses, I want you to take care of the poor. And so when Israel was faithful to those laws, Israel was the most generous to the poor nation on the face of the earth before, during, and since. And you could look at that and say, God, this is because of your law. It's awesome that what you have designed and what you have, have created us to be makes the world a better place. So he's looking at the law that way because it made better people. That when you look at, for example, the Ten Commandments, people who don't, and David had to repent of a couple of these, all, uh, who don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, but who worship the Lord as one God, but who kept the Sabbath. And he looks at all that and says, God, what you've, what you've created is beautiful. I love your law because of what it, what it makes us. So then we look at the word of God and we say the same thing. We, we should be people who celebrate. Here's what God has said. Now, you've got to know what he said to do that. Here's what God has said, and here's what he's designed. And Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, the church has flaws. We all have flaws. But isn't what God does good? So look at what you celebrate. Look at what you honor. And look at what you, you put forth to your kids, your grandkids, as what is really worthwhile and worthy. Be careful about that. Look at what you will not celebrate. Look at what you will not honor. Look at what you will not pretend is good when it's not. Okay? All of that's involved. What you celebrate matters, and what you meditate on matters. Now, meditation is different to the Jewish mind. This is a Jewish bit of poetry. Meditation in the Jewish mind is different from what we often see, which is Eastern meditation. Eastern meditation is you try to empty your mind and empty yourself and, and get rid of everything and purge everything. So there's a, a strong focus on, on emptying. Okay, Jewish meditation is the opposite method. It is what needs to go in. What must I bring in and fill my heart with? What do I fill my thoughts with? What do I fill my, my life and my time with? And it's about filling the heart. Okay, Total difference there. Uh, I guess you could use them in sync with one another, but it's a, it's a huge difference. So, when they say meditate, it's not sitting around going, oh, it is a focus on God. It's a focus on the Word. And that's why I chose a cow, right? 
What do cows do after they eat? You take in the grass, and then you take in, for us, we take in the Word of God. Then what comes next? Yes, you chew. The, I'm assuming he's giving me the answer, not chewing gum. You, you chew, you right? You chew the cud, right? That's what, what you don't, but they do. I mean, I don't know, maybe some of you do. I, I've known some people, I think they might do this. Uh, but they, it's kind of gross, but they sort of regurgitate a little. And then they reprocess, that's what we're going to call it. They're going to reprocess that grass again. If you're a hunter uh, and, and you've seen the stomachs of animals that eat grass, that's just, I'm not going to get real gross or detailed or so for those who are squeamish or whatever. But if, if you happen to see those contents, you're going to see how undigested, freshly chewed grass really is. Okay, uh, it, it's just like pulling it out of the bag of your Honda mower. It just doesn't look that much different. It doesn't look digested at all. So they have, to, in order for it to work through a cow system, you know, they've got a series of stomachs, and they've got, a, they have this process of chewing the cud, and it breaks it down more, and there's enzymes and chemistry and all of that going on that helps them to digest. People are the same way with God's Word. We don't just read it and then just, okay, well, I've got that for life. Do we? Don't, it would be nice. That would be nice. Why do we have these daily Bible reading plans? We're chewing the cud. Yeah, I've read that before. But I think I need to think about that again. So we're encouraged to meditate on God's Word. Bring it back up again. Look at that again. Don't ever say, well, yeah, I, re I read the book of John once. I don't need to read that again. Man, the treasures you're missing. And the spiritual weakness by poor digestion that you're going to have from a lack of real nutrition. Instead, you need to, to really dive in and read that. Now, I've got here a quote I want to read to you. So this is, I have no idea who this man Ashwood was, man or woman named Ashwood, but Charles Spurgeon quoted them, and I, I don't know where the original source is. So it's somebody quoting somebody, and now I'm going to quote, that, quote them to you. Meditation chews the could and gets the sweetness and nutritive virtue of the word into the heart and the life. If you really want it to be real and not just something you've heard or memorized, you gotta, you got to spend some time thinking about it. You do that in your prayer time, your devotional time. You do it driving down the road. Uh, do that talking with friends, and it's good to have tongue going back to the first one. It's great if you can have friends that you actually talk about those things with. That's why we have uh, Bible studies and small groups and things like that, which, unfortunate timing, we will not have small group tonight, the one that meets here at the building because of the holiday and people traveling. But you need those times, and you need to be together with those people in some form or fashion. You know, there's lots of ways to do that. So I'm not saying one way or another, but there's, you, you need that alone and you need that in community so that you can chew the could. I don't know. I think I think sometimes on Thursdays and Wednesday nights we more chew the fat. But, you know, you got it. You got it. The flavor is in the fat. So that's that's OK. And it, God said he loved the smell of fat burning in the morning. And every Church of Christ person assumes he's talking brisket and not exercise. So. Uh, apparently. So there is that. Third choice. First choice is be careful who you're with. Choose really good people. Encircle yourself with friends that build up your faith and your relationship with God and don't draw you away. Second choice. Choose what you celebrate and what you're going to meditate on. Get into God's Word. Spend time 
encouraging one another in God's word and spend time thinking about that and growing in that. The third thing, and it is, by the way, the third and final thing. The third thing is this. Plant yourself in a deep relationship with God. Get close to Jesus. Who is our living water? It's Jesus. He is the source. He says when we're people who don't hang out with all the sinners and the mockers and and the wicked, and when we do delight in God's word and grow and meditate on it, that person, verse 3, is like a tree planted by streams of water. Does a Texan not long for a stream of water? I mean, to me, the absolute perfect property in the world is anything with a stream by it. It it doesn't matter. You could live in a van down by the river. You know, that's fine. As long as there's water flowing in there and that sound. Why is that? Even even uh, science and research shows we are wired to feel better and to, and to recuperate and be refreshed by the sound of water. For Norlene, it's waves. For me, it's babbling brooks. You know, whatever it is. I think for Elaine, it's, it's, it's streams with trout. Would that be correct? But it is. It's healing, isn't it? You think that's an accident? I think God might have wired this into us. I think he wired it in. And then he says, a good relationship with God is like that. You're like a tree planted right there by the water. I hope the picture, I hope you can see it. Sometimes those don't show up so well when they translate it here. My mind went to, you know, if you're not, if you're not planted in the right place and you're not growing that well, you need to be transplanted. And so uh, the other day, I don't know why I'm taking you all along on my little experimentation journey with these few pots that I've got. But but I am, so here you go. Uh, it's been a rough week and a half. I've had several things that there was algae in a hydroponic bucket that got out of hand and that choked things out. feels like we're going to go through the parable of the soils, which can still be converted to a hydro, hydroponic parable. Uh, but algae got in there and choked that out just the same way weeds do in dirt. And that, that was hard. I had the wind break another plant, but... That's the one I want to tell you about. I had a wind just break a plant, and and I didn't realize how bad the break was. I had tried to kind of shore it up and reinforce it so it wouldn't make the bend worse, but it was just too far gone. The break was too much. It just couldn't move the water in this heat that we had a week or so ago. I, it couldn't move the water up that plant fast enough. So at the last minute, I went and t- took three different cuttings. I took those cuttings and went and and started putting them in jars and, and wanted a hydroponic thing so that they would root. And all three of them are now recovering and thriving and doing fine. So really, instead of one plant, I have three. My tomatoes will be later than they were supposed to be. Um, and hopefully that those will do well. Sometimes that's us. goes back to the who are you with? What are you spending time on? Some of us need a transplant. Isn't that what repentance really is? You turn your focus back where it belongs, which is on your relationship with God. You say, God, I want to be with you. Sometimes that involves changing your location entirely, transplanting you. If you're going to grow, if you're already a Christian, you got a relationship with God, but you haven't been growing like you should. Sometimes, you know, your roots are shallow. The relationship you might, because you got a lot of them crammed in a small pot, you think, oh, no, i got a lot of roots. But they don't have the room to grow in the way because you never stop growing. They don't have the room to grow that they need, and you need to be transplanted to a new pot. That's repentance. God moves you into a relationship with God and a relationship with Christ that is far better than the pot that you're in right now. 
and he changes your life. And I just love the way that Peter words this in chapter 3. You probably already read it. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What if we started to think of the word repent the way Peter does? It's a time of refreshing. I love that word anyway. You know what it always makes me think of? The prayers that I pray that the Lord bless in eternity, the man who invented air conditioning. You know? What? And that person, we don't even believe in special sainthood like the Catholics do, but if we did, I'm, I'm thinking there should be Saint Carrier and all those guys. You know? Wonderful stuff. But it's that refreshing sense is what we ought to think of when we think of repentance. It gets better from here. Because that's what he's saying. Repent so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He can make it better. Hand your life over to him. You will be like a tree planted by streams of water. In our case, the living water of Jesus, which yields its fruit in season. John 15, uh, Jesus says that that he is the vine and we are the branches. And the whole purposes of that is that we would bear much fruit. And sometimes we worry about, how am I going to do that? What do I need to do? You need to do this. Be planted firmly by the living water, and you will bear fruit. It will come naturally as your relationship with Jesus grows. Don't look at it as homework. Look at it as growing closer to Jesus. And when you build that relationship, all these other things become true in your life, and the tree grows and blossoms and bears fruit. This is God's plan for us. The the other side, we don't really want to know about, do we? Verse 6, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. I mean, it's an easy choice. We live in a time where people like to say there are no black and white choices and there is no binary choice. There's no either or. That's pretty either or. Which do you want? A life of blessing? A life where the promise in verse 6 is the Lord watches over you because you're one of his righteous, one of his cleansed, one of his chosen, one of his blessed, or where it's chaff. And what good was that? Easy choice, right? I pray for you if you pray for me as we make these choices every day, who we're going to be around, what we're going to think about, and our relationship with God growing deeper. And if you need us to pray with you, we will be glad to do that. If you're joining us online, you can send those messages to us and we'll pray for you. Uh, you can get with us. We'll study the Bible with you. If you need to know about Jesus and you're new to all this, you need to know more, that's what we're here for. We'd we'll be glad to sit down and do that with you. And you'll discover more and more of how this particular psalm is true. A us stand and sing.